I'm excited about this morning because I already know that some of you guys are going to leave here free. Amen. I said, I said, you know what? You have the opportunity this morning to leave here free. Amen. Amen. You know God's, God's purpose. God, God did something for you. I said, God did something for you. I, I think sometimes we, we, you know, we, we kind of walk around, you know, kicking our lower lip off the ground. And, and the reality is, is that we, we should be so excited and so joy-filled because of what God has done for us. Amen? God did something for you so he could get something to you, so he could move something through you and use you to make a difference in the world. Sometimes the enemy tries to convince you of, you know, past failures and shortcomings and mistakes and actions that you perform. He tries to convince you that your life doesn't really matter. You're, you're not really making that big of a difference, that, that God it couldn't do anything for you. But the reality is, is that God has a plan for your life. And it's not to hurt you, it's to help you. God's not trying to put you down, he's trying to pick you up, trying to lift you up. He, he, he's trying to infuse you with strength, not rob you of it. See, uh, God, God has a hope and a future for you. And, and the enemy, you know, he has all kinds of strategies to try to separate you from that. But see, God's been at work in your life. The fact that you're in this room this morning is proof that God is actively working in your world, in your life. Hello? Come on. You, you're really not here because your mama made you. Right? Well, I was just thinking about this morning when I said I didn't want to go. Shelby said, I had to. You know, I don't know. Some of you guys, maybe losing an hour doesn't affect you. It kills me. I'm slaughtered. You know, I look around and see these sleeping babies and wish I was one of them. <laughs> but, but, but God's working in our life. Think about it. It's the goodness of God that connects us. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. It's the goodness of God that connects us. It's the love of God that moves us to commit, right? God's love begins to work in your life, and love begins to overtake you, and you find yourself committing to things you would have never committed to had it not been for love. Come on, every married couple in the room knows what I'm talking about. You know, that, that, you, would, that you would find that motivation to live a committed lifestyle. It's the Spirit of God that inspires us to complete one another. See, God's goodness draws us to connect. His love moves us to commit. It's His Spirit that inspires us to complete. But it's the life of God that empowers us to compel. Remember when Jesus said, go out in the highways and the byways and compel them to come in that my house might be full. See, it's God life, Zoe life, life like God has it. That life is compelling. I know a lot of times what we're praying for, what, you know, we're believing God for like a power gift. You know, you, know, you, you kind of get born again and you start growing up in the church and you realize, wow, God has gifted me and he has anointed me and he's going to use me. I, what I'd like to do is, uh, ooh, 
wouldn't it be cool if, if, if we could get uh, like a gift of healing operating, we could go out over and empty out a, a, a hospital or two. I want a power gift. You know, I want to prophesy and, and, and uh, have everything I say come to pass. And, and that would be awesome, but it wouldn't do you any good if you had some power gift, but you didn't have God life. You know, if the enemy could rob you of the compelling power of his presence, you'd empty out a hospital, but nobody could hang out with you because you just all about you. There's something about God life that's compelling. Something about God life that when your coworker looks at you in the middle of recession, you just got an insane pay increase. When, when you're going through chaos and, 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 and catastrophe, yet you got a peace that passes all understanding that's guarding your heart and your mind. It, it, there's something compelling about a family that's being hammered by the enemy, but demonstrating his defeat on a daily basis. There's something compelling about God life. See, when you're in the middle of the will of God, the purpose of God, the plan of God, and you're walking through life, and you're, you, you just have that confession. No weapon formed against me can prosper. None of these things move me. I, my, I'm standing on a rock, and it's the Word of God. And I know that God's Word is power to my life, and, and I'm not going under. I refuse to fail, to quit, to cave in. I refuse to allow the enemy to get the upper hand. So that, that God life, as it begins to manifest in your house, See, it changes you from, from an ordinary individual to an extraordinary believer. Think about it. You know, there's nothing more compelling than somebody who's, who's dealing with the same stuff you are. But they got victory. Come on. That's, that's a compelling life. That's a compelling life. You know, when the people who know you best know you shouldn't have joy, but you got it anyways. Oh, that, that, that makes people who know you want to have what you got, even though they can't hardly stand you. Come on. God's plan is, is that you be made whole. That the damage that the enemy has created in life, that you would cross over that, that, that threshold, that you'd step right, a, right, right into a, a totally different lifestyle. God life. It's the life of God that causes us to be compelling. Which is why the enemy works so hard to distract and to defeat, to push out, you know, what makes God life so compelling? What, what makes a, a person, a family, a, a church, what, what is it that, that can cause those people to be compelling? Where does that power come from? What are the enemies to that? You see here, we believe that, that God has a purpose and a plan for us and that we're to find people who are far from God and walk them to a place where they're close to God. Well, how do we get affected? And according to the Bible, I'm going to show you this morning that according to the Word of God, that really the key to, in, to, to, to just insane, compelling power is oneness. Look at your neighbor and say, oneness. You might call it unity. You might call it like-mindedness. But really, it's just 
oneness. Just, just to be one. Just to be one. Look at this, Matthew 18, 19, and 20. He said, I promise that when any two of you on earth agree about something you're praying for, my father, look, I promise that when two of you agree, whatever you're praying for, my father in heaven will do it for you. Look at verse 20. Whenever two or three come together in my name, I'm there. Look at the power of agreement. When any two of you, I promise that if you can just get together and agree, you can ask for anything and it'll be done. There's such incredible power in agreement. Why Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, he said, you know, do me a favor, agree with each other. Love one another. Be deep-spirited friends. Well, what is that? That's the ingredient for a compelling life. That's what it takes. You know, you might think that you're going to have a compelling life without this, but that's like saying you're going to make, you know, uh, French toast without cinnamon. It just ain't going to be any good. You know, because cinnamon is good no matter where you put it. Right? Oh, man. I just realized I'm hungry. I'm thinking cinnamon twists, cinnamon rolls. Cinnamon dolce latte. <laughs> Look at the clock. Okay, the strategy of our enemy. The strategy of our enemy is to drive wedges. Because he knows that if you ever get into agreement, your life's going to have an insane power. See, a lot of us, we think about other little things. We're distracted by sideshow stuff. And we, we break out of agreement without realizing what it's going to cost us. Look at Mark 3, verse 24 and 25. If a kingdom is divided and rebelling against itself, look what he said, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided, split into factions and rebelling against itself, that house will not be able to last. Any kingdom... Any house that's divided cannot stand. You cannot do it. See, oneness is the major ingredient of a compelling life. Oneness, to be like-minded, to be in harmony with each other. There's a reason Paul would say, come on, guys, do me a favor. Just agree with each other. Just love one another. Just be deep-spirited friends. Why? Because it's going to empower you in such an insane fashion. Your life is going to, to catapult to a level of effectiveness that you just, you just don't understand. There's crazy power in agreement. Look at Genesis eleven six in the Amplified. This is this is crazy verse. The Lord said, "Behold, they are one people. They all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And now nothing they have imagined they can do will be impossible for them." This is God talking about a bunch of unbelievers who have become one. He said, "You know, they're one people. 
they're all speaking one word. Nothing they can imagine is impossible to them. Do you understand the power of agreement? Why would the enemy? Why would he not attack that agreement? We should be alert and awake and not surprised when the wedges begin to come in. We need to be alert and on guard and aware and realize that that's what the enemy's attempting to do. He's trying to drive the wedge in so that he can separate me from this power that God wants to operate in and through my life. God knows what he's doing. And there's a reason he's called you to this house. You know, if God's called you here, you need to get in agreement with what we're doing here. And you, you know, you kind of got to be careful because in our day and age and, and in our society, it's so easy, you know, through, through uh, gosh, I, I love podcasts, don't you? I mean, you listen to podcasts, you know, but they have a vision. I've got to be careful when I'm listening to podcasts that I don't start shifting my vision to what they're teaching and preaching. My, I, my pastor, Sharky. Man, they got, a, they got a, a field out behind the church, and it's just filled up with school buses. And they get up every Saturday morning, and they drive those buses all over Spokane. And they pick up children in and, and, and lower-income areas, and they haul hundreds of kids to the church every Saturday for Saturday Sunday school. All year long, they're having special big events that, that, that are surra- you know, involved, uh, surrounded around the, that ministry. And, and, and it's crazy. And if you ask me, when are we going to buy our first school bus? Never. Why? Because that's his vision. Hey, mine. And I don't need to get in agreement with him. i got to be in agreement with God for us. Yeah, and we got a vision. We've got a dream. We got a mandate to find those who are far from God and walk them to a place where they're close to God. Well, couldn't we do it with school books? That's not how God's told us to do it. And if we can ever get in oneness of mind, oh, baby. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, baby. <laughs> if we could hear God on it, remember Moses at the bush. When God got his attention, God turned an ordinary spot into a holy place. That's why the enemy doesn't want you in oneness. That's why he doesn't like like-mindedness. Isaiah 1, verse 19, says, If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. If you're willing and obedient, if you're willing, that is submitted in attitude. And obedient, that is submitted in action. I'm going to tell you this morning, it doesn't bother me at all to admit to you that I've had issues in these areas in my life. I can't tell you how many times attitude's been a problem for me. I can cover it, usually. Depends on who I'm around. Actions, good Lord, I might do anything. You know, in, in the 27 years that Shelby and I have been married, we've been in full-time ministry. The 
the whole time, and it hasn't always been the senior spot. I've served a lot of other people, and there have been times when they've said, this is what we're going to do, and in the back of my mind, I went, gee, yeah, who's we? Most of the time, they didn't see it, and then statements would start flowing in my head, you know, because is it all right if I just be transparent for just a minute? The, the, the thought would start going in my head, and the seed would be planted, and I'd begin to, to, to meditate on it, and I'd begin to actually verbalize it, and I'd make statements like, you know what? I'm not getting fed here anymore. I'm not getting fed here anymore. And then God takes you to this verse. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Well, yeah, but they're not feeding me. No, you're not eating. Because you're not willing and you're not obedient. No, it's them. Because I know how to hear God. And God says, prove it. Be willing and obedient. But it's not me. And God goes, I thought you knew how to hear God. I'm not getting fed here. It's kind of like a teenager. I remember different times that my dad would I was going to say, ask me to do things. My dad didn't ask me to do anything. He told me what to do. You know, a different era, right? And, and, and I got to tell you something, that, that delayed obedience meant instant correction. You know, uh, and, and, and in that world, if he said do it, you just jumped up and did it. But there were times in the middle of doing it, I was just cussing him out. You, you know, my childhood, I remember one time, I remember one time I, I, I went out for baseball and, and in middle school, you know, they call it junior high back then. And in junior high, I went out for, for the baseball team and, and going to all of these practices and getting ready for these games. I had forgotten that we left Fridays after school and, and went on, at, you know, revival meeting trips and, and that every game, I didn't even realize that every game was on a Friday afternoon. So I went to all these practices, and then the day of the first game, my dad rolls up and says, get in the car. Now, I remember, I can actually remember standing on the platform that Friday night in a church, you know, and we're singing the joy of the Lord, and I'm steaming because I don't want to be there. And you know what? I didn't get a whole lot out of some of those services. Why? Because I wasn't willing and obedient. I was just obedient. There's a huge difference between willing, submitted, and attitude. Submitted and attitude. And sometimes our attitude, according to King James, sucketh. Right? But we're responsible for it. We, we don't have the right to make excuses and to blame it on other people, even when they're wrong. Come on. Look at your neighbor and say, man, I'm glad you're here. This has got to be for you. Tell them. Look at Matthew 13, verses 54 through 58. Coming to his own country, Jesus was teaching in the synagogues, and they were amazed with bewildered wonder and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Hey, aren't all his sisters, don't they just live right here with us? Where did this man get all of this? 
And they took offense at him, and they were repelled and hindered from acknowledging his authority and caused to stumble. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, in his own house. And he did not do many works of power there because of their unbelief and their lack of faith in the divine mission of Jesus. Look at that. He did not do many works of power there. And I know if I asked you why, you'd say, well, because of their unbelief. It says it's all right there, because of their unbelief. Back up one verse, will you? They took offense at him. See, their unbelief was the fruit of the seed of, un, uh, of an offense. It's like when you get offended with someone and they say, I'm sorry, I don't believe you. Why? Because you've offended me. You've hurt me. You've made me mad. Look, look what it says. They took offense at him. They were repelled. The opposite of compelled. They took offense. They allowed bitterness to be planted into the fertile soil of their heart. And Jesus, God, couldn't do everything that he could do. I said God couldn't do what he really desired to do. Why? Because of offenses that they were holding on to. They allowed their life to be broken instead of having oneness. Without the power of oneness, the power of God was limited. If you're not one, if you're not like-minded, if you're not in one accord, God can't eat God. God can't do what he wants to do in your life. Think of how, think of how easy it is to offend a Christian. Some of you have got to be really careful here. Because you could get offended while I'm preaching. And you could go out and say, he's offensive. I can't believe he made me mad. I can't make you anything. If I could make you something, I'd make you tithe. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. If I could make you something, I'd make you love me. No, it's that, that wedge. See, it's easy to get it in there. Why? Because we, we have expectations. You know, the, the, your level of expectation determines the level of offense that can be produced in your life. You know, how many times have you heard somebody said, well, I've been treated better by people in the world than I am by people in the church? Ever heard that? I'd ask the question, ever said it, but I don't want to ask that question. Well, why is that so? Well, because your level of people in the world is right down here. What, your level of expectation from a believer, it kind of comes up here somewhere. If you went into a place of business and the guy was, you know, drunk and smoking a doobie and cussing across the counter, you probably wouldn't be offended if he charged you too much money for the job you were asking him to do. Why? Because you kind of expect that. Because drugs are expensive. But if you go into a believer's place of business and ask for stuff, and they give it to you, and then they give you the bill, you're offended that they didn't give you a believer discount. Why? Because, because you have a, a, a higher level of expectation. You know, why is it so easy 
for a preacher to offend you because your expectation level is so high. Come on, let's get real. You, you, you expect, you, you think when you come to our house, the angels will be out on the porch welcoming you to the house. But the angels grew up and went to high school. Check this out. Luke 17. Got to hurry. Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. Don't think you're going to go through life without offenses. I can't believe it. Well, start believing. Because they're coming. But woe unto him through whom they come. It would be better for that guy if a millstone were hanged about his neck and he was cast into the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. Take heed to yourself. Everybody say yourself. I'm telling you that if, you don't, if you're not careful, self will try to kill you. So take heed to yourself. If your brother trespasses against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Look at that verse for just a minute. If your brother trespasses against you, rebuke him. That sounds good, doesn't it? I'm going to go rebuke somebody. <laughs> I like to rebuke in Jesus' name. The word rebuke means to speak to honestly, intelligently, and politely. If he repent, forgive him. Forgive him. Uh, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. You don't understand what he did. For, for, forgive him. Look at the next verse. If he trespasses against you seven times in a day, and seven times in the day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent. Forgive it. Seven times in a day? I'm struggling with one. In another place, you know, in another place, he says, you know, 70 times seven. You know, that means that every three minutes in a 24-hour period, if he says, forgive me, you got to do it. That's if you don't sleep. Why? Because this is vital. I said, this is vital. This is going to determine whether your life is compelling or not. Yeah, but you don't understand. It, it, was, it was horrible what they did to me. Look at the next verse. Help us, Jesus. That's what the disciples said. He said, you know, if you got to do it again, do it again, forgive again, forgive again. And the disciples said, increase our faith. And I don't think we got enough faith to do this. Look what Jesus said. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, smallest, most minuscule seed, you might say to this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up. Listen, let me just give you this point so that you don't forget it. Get this down. It does not take a huge amount of faith to deal with an offense. I think a lot of times, you know, we, we, we want to kid ourselves. We want to fool ourselves and say that this thing's bigger than we are. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. And then Jesus walks him over and he says, you can speak to this sycamine tree. It's important that you see this, this one. Jesus has a, has a living illustration that he's going to make now. Takes him up to a very specific tree. Matter of fact, some of your Bibles, you know, New King James says mulberry tree. And, and, and really what, what brought this out was the fact that 
mulberry tree is used all over the place, but in King James it says sycamine tree. And, and so we start searching and studying to find out, well, isn't there a difference? Come to find out there's a huge difference. There's a reason that Jesus used the sycamine tree. There, I said there's a reason that he talked about the sycamine tree. See, the sycamine tree was very well known in, in, in that area because uh, they, they, they just grow almost anywhere. And the difference between a sycamine tree and a mulberry tree, a sycamine tree, see, it has a very, very uh, crazy root system. It, it, it goes down. It doesn't, need a, it doesn't need to rain there a lot. It doesn't need a lot of water because the root system burrows down and goes and finds a water source. It, it intertwines and wraps itself around every other root that it can find and robs it of any you know, liquid that comes through the ground. But, but it, it, it sinks deep into the ground, and the root system goes so deep See, that's what bitterness does. That, that's, that's what unforgiveness does. It just starts sinking its roots and wrapping around everything else. And if you just pulled it out of the ground, it would rip up all that other life with it. And you can try to cut it off at the, at, at the ground level, but it doesn't matter. It just comes back because it's hard to kill. That root system, man, if you don't deal with the root system, you're not going to get rid of that bitterness. It's coming back. And it's going to rob the life out of everything it can get around. And all of a sudden, you find yourself right in the, right in the middle of Disney World, whining and complaining because you ain't having a good day. The second thing about a sycamine tree that you got to understand is that a sycamine tree was the preferred wood used for caskets. Sycamine tree grows to over 30 feet tall, and because they would grow anywhere, there's so many of them, and since there's so many of them, they're very cheap and very affordable, so they would use those to build the caskets. There are so many of them, and, and they would grow anywhere. It, it, doesn't that kind of tell us that unforgiveness can create bitterness regardless of who you are, whether you're from uh, Hermiston? Or Richland. And if you're not careful, they're going to bury you wrapped in it. It's robbing you of your joy, your peace, your victory, and the very life of God. You can't figure out why God's word won't produce in your life. It's because you're not in oneness. You're not in oneness with God. Can, can, I, can, I, can I just tell you that you cannot consistently perform a task that's inconsistent with your character? See, in other words, if you can't be one with, with, with a group of people, you're, you probably ain't one with God either. It's not just destroying your relationship. Well, I just don't believe in the local church. you got a problem with God. Because he instituted it. Well, it was different back then. You're crazy. You're just bitter. You just can't agree. You just won't speak to your offense. You're going to cut it off at the ground and mound up some dirt and deal with it next spring. It's going to wrap around you. It's going to kill you. They're going to bury you in it. The third thing. 
about the sycamine tree was the fruit that it produced. You know what's crazy is the mulberry tree and the sycamine tree, as long as they're the same size, they look almost identical. The fruits look identical. They both grow a fig. And the mulberry fig is so sweet and so good that it's so expensive. So only, only the rich could really afford it. So if you weren't at that level of financial ability, you'd buy sycamine figs. And the difference between the sycamine fig and the mulberry fig is the sycamine fig is bitter. I mean, nasty. And you bite it. It's so bitter. You, you can't eat it all at once. So what they do is they take a bite and they chew on it. And they go out and, you know, go out to the garage and work on the camel. And then they come back inside and, and, and they take another bite. And they go out and they chew on that for a while. And, and when they got over that, they come inside and, you know, and pick it up. And that's how we do it. We keep coming back to the table of remembrance and take another bite and go back out into life and chew on it and meditate on it and think about it. Then we come back inside to the table of remembrance and we talk about how they were wrong and I'm right and I know I'm right and I can hear God. i got to tell you, there's so many times working for other people when I knew they were wrong. And it kind of irritated me that God would be blessing them when they're wrong and I'm so right. You ever read the New Testament? Can you imagine what the other guys, the disciples felt, you know, the brotherhood, the band of brothers? Can you imagine what they thought when Jesus was leaving and he put Peter in charge of the church? They probably thought, we got 30 days. Have you read the book, One Month to Live? That's what they were thinking. We got one month. This thing's over. Peter gets a great idea. He says, you know what? We need to replace Judas. Let's do it Vegas style. <laughs> yeah, let's do it Vegas style. Let's get everybody together and we'll cast lots. Whoever it falls on, we'll take him. And, you know, they cast, they, they, they pull the lots and what was the dude's name? It was like Matthias. Matthias, he, Matthias, it, the last time you ever hear of Matthias is when he gets elected via Vegas style. And you know that the other guys are going, this is not how God does stuff. What the heck are you thinking? You, you can't do that. I mean, really, he could have had a church split two or three ways right there. But it's just a few... Days later, you know, a few pages later, if you, if you go read it, if you study it, that they were in the upper room all in one mind and one accord. Remember? And the Holy Spirit fell in, and, 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 and the church grew to 120 that day. And, and later on in that day, thousands were added to the church. In that day, here's God working through a guy that don't even know how God works. What's crazy is that they were in one mind and one accord. Somehow, they refused to eat a bitter fig. You know the fourth thing about the sycamine tree. Unlike all the other trees in that region, it does not pollinate naturally. The only way a fig tree pollinates is when a wasp flies in and sticks 
sticks its stinger in the fruit and then flies to the next sycamine tree. You've been stung. And you're thinking, I'm never going to let them sting me again. Sycamine tree. I got to thinking about the offenses in my life, and I thought, well, I'm sick of mine. You like that? That's good right there, wasn't it? Come on. Sick of mine. Unlike, unlike the sick of yours tree, because I'm sick of yours too. <laughs> you know, he tells us in the Word of God, he says, you know, it don't take a lot of faith. It doesn't take great faith. You don't have to be some spiritual giant to deal with this. I mean, you kind of got to ask yourself, when was the last time that proving you were right actually worked out good for you? When's the last time being offended paid off good dividends? When was the last time? I mean, you know, you think about the people in your world that have upset you, that have hurt you, that have wronged you, that, that ought to be rebuked. When was the last time that that actually produced God life? When was the last time your offense was compelling others to a life of following Christ? As something happens, you know, as, as, we begin to, as, we, as we begin to sing, you know, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Man, doesn't that... I don't know about you. It just does something inside of me. Yeah, I will follow you. Well, forgive them. Can't do it right now. I don't know how many years ago. It was quite a few. Evan wasn't born yet. I was driving through Tri-Cities on my way to Davenport, Washington. I was going to speak there. It was a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. I'm coming through town. On Highway 395, coming down into town, there was a little place on the left. It's called Bob's Big Boy. Remember? Carl's Jr.'s there now. Bob's Big Boy. Had that sign of that Bob out there with the finger up in there. I remember because I thought, look, they built a statue after me. <laughs> Got right. So it was coming down, the, coming down the highway. I don't know how to describe it. It's like the Spirit of God got in the car. Pulled over in Bob Big Boy's parking lot. God was just doing something in my life. And I'm sitting in a car in a parking lot of a hamburger stand, weeping. Because I know that God's speaking to me about this region. Matter of fact, when I got to Davenport, the pastor there, some of you guys know him, Jim Buell, he came outside. The first thing he said to me was, what happened to you? Telling you that God be speaking to me about this area. And I, I, and I got to tell you, there have been a lot of times that I've thought, you know what? I'm sure we're done now. This week and Wednesday night during prayer, we were praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We would prayed that God's will would be done in our life, that God's will would be done in our spouse, that God's will would be done in the lives of our children and our parents and, and our extended family. Then we started praying for the church, and different ones were coming forward, and they prayed for church leadership. And Then, uh, you know, uh, they came and they prayed for uh, the church congregation, that God's will would be done in your life. 
then Todd came and he began to pray for the harvest, the future church. And as he was praying for the harvest, that flame started heating up again. You know, it's kind of like that day in the car. I instantly was back in the car. God began to remind me, you're here on a mission. In December, God spoke to me, just stop, stop. Refocus. Refocus. Come on, come on, Tom. Look at the vision. You know, a lot of other things. But just stop. Just stop. What are you here to do? Find people who are far from God. Bring them to a place where they're close to God. Equip them to live a life of victory with and for God. God, you know, way before that, when I'm eight years old on a platform, I see a little girl that I'd prayed for walking down the center aisle. She's taking her first steps and God telling me, you know what, all your life, you're going to empower people who can't walk God life to walk it out. Wednesday night, here it comes again. Bam! And inside my spirit, I realize, we're not done. Where's the effectiveness? Where's the breakthrough? Got to deal with the offenses. You got to speak to that sycamine tree. People have offended you. That's not the issue. The issue is, you got to speak to it. You got to refuse to keep coming back to a table of remembrance and biting off that bitter fig and going out and working on the camel. You, you got to refuse to allow that thing to sink its roots any deeper in your life than it already has. You have to demand that the thing that's trying to build a casket to bury you in leave your life and be put in the sea. You have to decide, I'm. I was stung, but God can heal me. And I'd rather have a God life that's compelling than an existence that proves I, I was right. Can't tell you how many times we've all made mistakes. Stuff that people have done to us that's hurt us, we've done the same things. We've hurt just as many people. See, we get so focused on the offense. He said it's impossible for offenses not to come. I don't know why we're so shocked. He said, you know what? It doesn't take much to get victory over it if you want it. Just don't take much. So I got a question for you. You want to leave free? You want to release the compelling power of God in your life? I know you got a little faith. Because you're here. I know you got what it takes. Because Jesus said, 
you could do it. And I know that if we do it and we get in oneness, nothing we imagine will be impossible for us. And I know, I know how easy it is to carry the offense. I got to tell you, it's easy. You know, I, I, I kind of thought, you know, for quite a while that, you know, I, I, I'm grown up here. I, I don't get offended easily. And then I remembered that last Sunday when you weren't here and how irritated I was at you. God began to deal with me just in this last week about, look at you. You want to drive to their house and drag them out in the yard and beat them down? Rebuke them in Jesus' name. Just being real. Easiest people to offend on the planet. Believers. Why? Because we're taught to expect. We're taught expectation. I got to tell you something. I expect a lot out of you. I've seen what God wants to do through you. And I know he can't do it through babies. And I, 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 know, I know it's going to take a backbone to, to, to face the storm that's trying to prevent us from reaching the goal. So I have great expectation. And because of that, it's, if I'm not careful, I go home offended every service. But not no more. I don't think you should leave this place today without demonstrating Satan's defeat in this area of your life. Because it's just not that hard to speak to it. Be gone. Be plucked up. You got to go. Because I'm going to grow. I want you to close your book, bow your head. Let me pray for you.